If you'd like to learn about resilience, building teams, and the safety of a tribe, talk to a soldier. Today's guest on the Reset Podcast is retired Army Colonel Brian Bailey. In the chat today, we cover everything from basic training to serving in Afghanistan. Brian has some great insights into time management and efficiency, and also will give you a great understanding of how to be a better leader and provide resilience for the people working for you. It's a pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Welcome Brian Barrett, to Bailey, welcome to Reset. So, first question I'm going to ask you, yeah. is it good being you? Yes, it is. Yeah, it well, is good. Tell me why. Um, I, I've had this conversation with, with my wife a couple of times, particularly when we've had close family members who've passed on. And we always look back and say, if you were to die tomorrow, or if you were to be on your deathbed tomorrow and look back at life, could you have achieved anything more? Could you have done anything more? And the answer is, no, not really. Then it's good being me, because I've achieved exactly what I, you know, could have done in whatever time I've been on this God's green earth. You've got a few years left in you now. I know that. (laughs) But every time I get that point, if I can still answer that same question, that's why it's good being me. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I guess um, Brian, Brian was a colonel in the army, and we're going to have a little bit of a chat about that a bit later on. But I guess in that, in that sort of situation, you're in some pretty high tense you know, life and death situations where you, it's not only your life and death, but the people you're commanding. And um, having that sort of deathbed scorecard, I guess, must be something that, that puts everything in perspective for you. Oh, it, it does, because you... You, you tend to look at life a little bit differently because the thing is, it's not about, you know, one day is just like the next day is like the next day. It's like, what can you get out of today? What, what's the maximum, what, what's the most effective, efficient thing you can be doing on your time right now? Because time's precious. So for me, time's my most important commodity. Yep. So any moment, any day, I'll say, what's the most efficient, effective thing I can be doing in my time right now? And, okay. and I tend to focus on that because right. of that, because you, your time becomes very precious. Yeah, okay. And, and, as a, as a young kid growing up and, and stuff yep. like that, did you always want to go in the army? Was that something that was a... It, it was always in the back of my mind uh, because I wanted to do something where it was both physical but also using your mind at the same time. You certainly do that when you're commanding. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So it's a good balance of both. So, and plus, my, my dad was a NASHO, a national serviceman. Okay. He used to always reflect very positively about his stories about being back. Right. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, that's that's not bad. Was he in Vietnam and? No, just before that? that. So he finished. Okay. He finished his time just before Vietnam started. So right. he's like the, the mid fifties. So in between World War II and Vietnam. Yes. Yeah. Between right. that, yeah. National. Okay. Uh, only lottery. Everyone his whole life. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, fortunately, he won the lottery and he didn't have to go and yeah, know, it, shoot people. So exactly. Yeah. I guess that was good. Yeah. And was that the thing that made you think, yeah, yes. army? Yeah, yeah, it was. And, you know, plus on top of that, because I went through Duntroon, they, they threw a university degree as well. So you're getting yeah, okay. the leadership training, plus you're getting, you know, once again, a university degree out of it. Yeah. So it was... It was what did you get your degree? Uh, so at Duntroon was Arts, Bachelor of okay. Arts degree. So there was a multiple choice question, Arts, they Science... They give you them in cornflakes packets, don't they? Well, it's, well, it's right. <laughs> it was, I said a multiple choice question. It was Arts, <laughs> Engineering or Science. There's only one correct answer, Arts, right. because there's so much extra pressure on your time. Uh, so arts was good because you were able to balance that with military. To do something like engineering, you really had to be super. Study super oh, hard. Absolutely, and be very okay. efficient in your time. You had no free time for anything. Arts, right. I had a bit of free time, so it was good. Okay. And you, as someone that knows you reasonably well, you you do like a bit of structure and, you know, you're, I'm, I'm not for a moment saying you're regimented and stuff, but if, you know, you need something organised, Brian's a man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's part of that time being precious. So your life's got to be very structured because you've got to try and milk as much out of your time as you can. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's yeah. I'm, and even when I left 
army and defence. It was very important for me to maintain some sort of structure. And did you have that at the start, or was that something the army taught you? Uh, no, definitely something the army taught me. Yeah. Okay. No, I, yeah, I went into this as like most you know, teenagers. Yeah. Uh, very, very loose at one's time and everything else, and then yeah, only a couple of weeks later, suddenly a very different person. Really? Was that was that quick? Oh, take it's... us through those first few weeks. Yeah. So it's obviously a huge culture shock. And, but what's important is it's a very structured program and you know that's a sense of control the whole way through it. Okay. And also, a lot of it happens almost, you know, I, I guess for osmosis because you sort of step in one day as a you know, teenager, long hair and you know, fairly disorganised and uh, two weeks later suddenly you find yourself making a bed in the morning without even mm-hmm. thinking about it and ironing your clothes for the next day without even thinking about it. So yeah. it's just this, this regimentation kind of creeps up on you to the point where you just do things instinctively. That's a really cool way to be. One of the, one of the things about Reset, the, the book that we're currently writing, is, yeah. to, is that you've got to set up your systems and you've got to set up the environment and that creates an identity. Uh, right? If you absolutely. imagine that your systems and your environment are the basis and that creates the identity, I guess that's a real... Would you think that's a way the Army... Oh, absolutely, because the whole way they do training, both whether coming as an officer or going as a soldier, that, that initial training is all about breaking people down to a point and then being built up in the image they want. Yeah. So okay. you said everyone goes down to a level. Once you went to the base level, okay, now we're going to build you up in our image. So that effectively is a reset, isn't it? You, it it you absolutely. Reset. Yep. And they reset. And and the good thing about it, you're going through, you're not going through it alone. You're going through it with a bunch of other guys. You're going through the exact same hardship. You know, yeah. It's all controlled. <clears throat> you're not the only one's ever done it. You know, a lot of people have gone through before you. A lot of people going after you. So yeah. yeah, but it's very controlled, very structured. Uh, it's still, you know, quite. Quite intense and quite, you know, very uh, a lot of anxious moments. But by the same token, it's it's you know very controlled. Has it changed much in the what with 30, 20, 30 years that you're in the army? Yeah, I was here yeah, thirty five. So it if, it it changed. It, well, some aspects of it changed, but by and large, it's the same basic structure. Okay, going through, yeah, it hasn't changed much. Do they have to be a little bit nicer now? Uh, yes, but. It's it's all once again it's all contextual because back in the I joined in the early eighties and you know life was a bit different back then so you yeah. can get away with a lot more things back then yeah. nowadays it's probably just as probably I guess as um, relatively is yeah as, it, relatively is traumatic but it's just that society's changed so yeah, you've got okay. you know, the things they can get away with back then they can't get away with now and saying that's probably just as traumatic. Yeah, the culture shock is probably just as harsh. From from where your baseline is when you enter to exactly. what they give yeah. you, yeah. the difference is around about the same. Yeah, I'll give you a really good example. Um, so when I joined, I shared a bedroom with my brother. Right. Nowadays, very few kids share bedrooms. Yeah. So okay. suddenly being in that confined space back then wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. But now that in itself is a culture shock. Actually, having to share, you know, space with other people. Yeah, and I, I guess the other one that's a really big difference now is that you know. Kids haven't really learned to fight their own battles. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of you know, call it helicopter parenting or, or lawnmower parenting, where the parents you know create the path for the child to walk on. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, how do how do people coming from that sort of environment go into a into an environment like the army at the start? Yeah, it it is difficult. I mean, there's a lot more mental health issues. Like I was one of my many jobs. I was a commanding officer of our uh, recruit training battalion, Capoeira, uh, right. in okay. Wagga, New South Wales, and we would have, say, platoon come in 50-plus people. Every platoon, at least half a dozen mental health issues. How to go have time out. What um, sort of things? What sort of, what sort of things did they struggle with? What sort of symptoms were they getting? I think the, it's the culture shock, uh, which gets them in the end. Like I said, well, everyone has different pressures, different you know, pressure points. I think for some people, like I said, it's being suddenly up to share my, my room with someone else. Yeah. Uh, other people was, I didn't like being yelled at. And, and other okay. people was, you know, I didn't like the fact that 
you know, from the moment I get up, the moment I go to sleep, I'm just, it's go, 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 go. There's no me time. Yeah. So everyone has, has a different you know, issue. And, you know, we, we had, I'd say, on a monthly basis, half a dozen suicide ideations and a whole right. bunch of other things, yeah. So it was an um, interesting time. That's a really hard thing to try and find that balance between I've got to push you this hard because you're going to be put under fire yeah. by people wanting to kill you at some stage in your career. Yeah. And you've got to balance that with I don't want to break this particular human. Oh, it, exactly right. And, and what I tried to do when I was down there was try to implement, you know, I, I, I try to use an analogy of when you teach someone how to, how to fire a weapon. You, you don't sort of on day one give them a weapon and say, right, go out there and, and classify on your weapon, you know, go and, yeah. go and shoot a perfect score. You, you know, train them up. It takes them six to seven weeks before they actually become reasonably competent. Well, exactly the same with a, a sort of that socialisation. Don't expect them to be a soldier on day one. Yeah, okay. Build them up slowly. You know, you don't need to yell and scream because they don't know how to march. Well, of course, you haven't taught them how to march. So, you know, um, so yeah. it's all about that socialisation. It's got to be as gradual, almost like the, you know, the, the frog in the boiling water. Yeah. You know, eventually, I'm here. I'm in. Well, the only problem with the frog in the boiling water no, is it's dead by now. Which hopefully it doesn't happen no, with so, yourself. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Probably about now, would you be? Yeah. But, yeah, I, get, I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit worried about about young people today that they don't have a back catalogue of, of stories. They don't have a back catalogue of, I got through this problem by myself and I fixed it. Yeah. Um, so when problems do come along, you know, they, they can't sort of draw on those experiences and stuff like that. Is there a thing in the army where, you know, there's more senior people that tell them a lot of stories? Is there a lot of that sort of sharing of... Oh, absolutely. I think one of the, the, the most important aspects of when you first join defence, the military, the army, is that you straight away appreciate the fact you're part of something that's bigger than you. Yeah. It's not about you. You're actually a cog in a bigger wheel. Uh, and then you get that drummed in from the moment you join. You, know, you are now part of something that's much bigger than you. And when you become part of that, then your issues and your problems become less important because all that contributing to that team. Yeah. That, that's a massive thing to, you know, and I've tried to instill that for people in a business situation as well. And you can see teams that function, you know, whether it's in armed forces or whether it's just in a, in a um, business environment, the ones that have that, that they have a bigger cause, they have a greater reason for being there than just themselves, just to get a paycheck. Yeah. Um, those cultures really do create. And one of the things about stress Teflon is it's, you've got to find, find the safety of a tribe and nothing no, nothing is more of a, a safety of a tribe than being surrounded by your, you know, your comrades. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all teamwork. And, yeah, everything you do, like uh, when I was a you know, dumb troon on that, you have intercompany competition. So suddenly your, your company, which is about, you know, I don't know, 100-plus people, yeah. um, you have to compete for, you know, the, the champion company for the year. Right. So there's a whole range of almost, almost monthly competitions, competitions. And it's, you know, anything from swimming car, athletes carnival, uh, obstacle course, um, shooting competitions, cross-country competition, everything. It's and like you know, in a company sports, you know, you call it blood work, you know, rugby, Australian rules, everything, and it's it's, it's continual. And so you get that identity. You're part of a company. You compete against other companies, and you draw strength from you know, yeah. everyone else in your company. It's something that you know people out in civil in the civilians. I've, I've yeah. lost for the term, but you know, civilians could really learn from that because there's so much there's so much transient in jobs and stuff now that people don't really build up as much of that as perhaps they, should, they need to. Yeah, so right, yeah. tell me about some of the places you, you you went to and some of the things that you did. Um, so pretty much the, I guess the, the, the first major overseas activity I did, I went to England in 1987 uh, with the 2-9 British Commandos. Um, so oh, right. 
Yeah, that was interesting. So I did about three yeah, four months. A week. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah. I thought I was reasonably fit before I got over there, but um, <laughs> right. they, they taught me a thing or two about fitness. So wow. yeah, but we did. You know, from over there, they went to Canada. They did an exercise there. Did an exercise in the Isle of Skye, you know, horizontal rain and that. So that was that was pretty hard, pretty tough. But learned a lot of good things from those guys. A lot of resilience because those guys just came out of the Falklands not not mm-hmm. too long before. So yeah, um, okay. yeah so that, that was that was really good. Uh, the next, then I did a, a number of trips across the states for training with various exercises and, and various other training activities. The first... How, how did you find the difference between, say, an English and an Australian military situation to an American one? Was Very different. It's it's because militaries are really nested in your culture, the culture of a country. So you've got to understand a, a nation's culture, you have a look at their military. Right. Because it's it's, it's reflected back at you. you know, okay. All their nuances, all their idiosyncrasies reside in their military. Do they have that same sort of lack of selfishness because I always feel that Americans might have a little bit more meritocracy it's about them it's about how they get to the next level yeah no it's it's all team effort it's all team effort absolutely yeah and they also take pride once again this whole belonging Mm -hmm. Uh, they wear the uniform they're part of a team straight away so and that's the bricks no no different right you know so you've matter of fact you actually find you have more in common with other militaries than sometimes you have with your own countrymen yeah okay in what ways were the Americans different then um, culturally, they're different because uh, they everything's larger, they're bigger over there for a start. Yeah. So yeah, they, they they work off mass, whereas we work very much off the, I guess the intelligence engineer of the individual. Yeah. So the okay. individual, whereas over there they work off the intelligence engineer of their system. Right. So for us, you know, we look at our you know our sort of weary Dunlops and our you know. Um, Albert Jappers and these kind of people, you know, what, what great people they were. Were they over there? Look at their units as if, you know, they, they're, they're important. Mm-hmm. I belong to the 4th Infantry Division, you know, yeah. a great division. So they, they, it's a bit different over there from that, that perspective. The other big difference over there is how they treat their, their soldiers. We're coming up to Anzac Day next week. And, you know, I, I think everyone's going to be out on their driveway with a candle and, you know, yeah. hearing the last post or whatever's going to happen. And... Every Australian has a, a reverence to people that have served in our armed forces. And I think Americans like that idea, but then the way they treat their veterans when they do come home is that... Yeah, although I must admit, they, um, you, know, you go to a ball game over there and it's Hero of the Week. They'll right. put up on the screen the you know, soldier or something like that. Yeah, okay. Just come back. And you know, one of the things that's really got me, I was in a queue at Vegas once, just getting in a water park, take the kids in there. And we're at the queue. Anywhere you go there, you get services discount. Everything. Okay. And then so my wife was a couple of people in front of us and I said, oh, can you just check to see if you've got a service and a discount? And then the guy in the queue in front of me said, oh, you're serving, sir? Yeah, I am. Who are you with? I said, with the Marines. And he shook my hand and said, thank you for serving. Right. And the Americans are like that. Okay. Yeah, so they're, they're very they're very pro-military. They really look after military. You have guys in uniform tend to get the, they're allowed to go in the front of the queues for shops yeah. and that. So, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a real there's a real dichotomy there. There is, yeah. It's, um, that, that's, as an Australian, that's hard to... Oh, it is, That's yeah. Well, like, Australians are understated. So, like, yeah, we, we said we've got the reverence and that and Anzac Day. We do it in a very understated way, whereas yeah. the Americans over the top, very, you know, yeah. very over the top. I'm yeah. yeah. So, and you also said in Afghanistan? Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, you did. So, are you allowed to take me through that? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I, did, I did a year over there, but I, once again, I went to the Americans. So, I right. went with the American uh, Divisional Headquarters, 4th Infantry Division. They're based out of Colorado Springs in Colorado, Fort Carson, and... We did some lead-up training with them. So I did a month in March, went over there again a month in May, and I deployed with them in July. Okay. So July 2013 to July. And what was your role in that? 
So in my role, I was the chief of the Afghanistan National Security Forces Development Branch. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so we did all the, the development. People who were going to fight the Taliban. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so we did uh, basically a raised train sustain. So we did the logistics, mm-hmm. made sure they got their equipment, uh, built their barracks, built their training for them, uh, and also set up their training. Right. Yeah. Were they appreciative of you being there? Um, how, how, how was that relationship? They, they were, but it's really difficult because the average Afgan, Afghani uh, doesn't see Afghanistan as a country. So it's hard, like, to them. They're nomads. Well, exactly. Well, it's their, their family their family group is their most important identity. Like, so draw an identity, they draw it from their family clan. Okay. So to say, yeah, do this for Afghanistan, that, to them it's a foreign concept. I do things right. for my clan. I don't do things for the country. Okay. So it's, well, when we try to talk to them, we try and talk to them, yeah, you're doing this for the betterment of your country. Well, no, I'm doing it for the betterment of my, my clan. Then did you guys change your way that you, you spoke to them uh, to, to try and make it so it was more something that they could Well, grasp? we... It, not really, because the people that we were engaging with, the people that could see the bigger picture, the people that we were engaging with, the good guys, I guess, from our perspective, were the people who wanted to build a nation. They were nation builders. Um, whereas the bad guys in the average Joe on the street wasn't a nation builder, they were a clan builder. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, yeah, I remember they were seeing a diagram like your wall back there with stuff everywhere, and this is, this is their network, this is how it works. When we understand that, we'll crack this wall, you know. And it was just a yeah. spaghetti. A spaghetti, it yeah. It impossible to say. Yeah, yeah. No structure. Do you, do you feel it? How did how did you see people? I, I love that sort of idea of growing through adversity and growing through these tough times and sort of you know wrestling with the uncomfortable parts of life yeah. to then come out you know um, bigger and better at whatever you are. Did you see that? A lot of your new stories. Yeah. Like that, so that. I, I think and you know you, to put things in perspective, I guess one of the most poignant moments when I was over there was I had this the Americans had this program called the Wounded Warrior Program and what had happened was people who were wounded, you know, who had to be medevaced out of the country. Once they were, they were well again, they put them, they gave them the opportunity to go back on the plane, go back to Afghanistan, and to leave on their terms. Be, because, right. yeah, because they didn't, obviously, the first they went out, they went out in a stretcher yeah. and, you know, in the back of an airplane. So these people came back. I remember one day I, I, was, I was in the, the, the queue for the, the sort of the, the mess hall there getting food, and I'm moaning to myself about something, something, you know, really irritating me that day. And I'm, having a whinge about something myself, you know, really, you know, this, that, and the other. And I saw this kid in front of me, and he would have been about, say, 21, 22. He had no legs. And he's part of this Wounded Warrior program. And at that point, I suddenly realised, what have I got to complain about? What have I got to worry about? You know, what's, is my life that bad? No, it's not. Look at this kid. He's going to spend the rest of his life without legs. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, and that's, that's when it really hit home. You know what? Yeah, life, yeah, there's, there's certain things in life which are important, other things which aren't important. And focus on those important things, you know. Yeah, it's it's a really tough one at the moment because we're going through coronavirus and all yeah. of this sort of stuff. And I wrote I wrote an article recently that was comparing it to sort of nineteen forties London, where they were getting bombed and houses were getting destroyed and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And I thought I was making a real good point to sort of yeah put it in perspective. But there's also an element if you can't sort of minimise the troubles that you're going through as well. And it's a really that's a hard seesaw to put it in perspective, but. Yeah. Yet, yet treat your troubles with the respect they deserve as well. It's well, a, and, and it's they, a hard thing to it, sort of balance. It is, but you know, I, I'm, I often, you know, since I got back from there, saying, you know, you, you know people say, you know, your life could be worse. Well, yeah, it could be worse. You could have been born in Afghanistan. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and people complain about self isolation. Well, self isolation is a first world indulgence. You know, you live in some of these countries, you, you can't self isolate. There is no opportunity to self isolate. You can't get water. You, you can't exactly. You can't get yeah. Food. So when you go and look at these countries, which are basically failed states. You look at it and you think, well, you know, what have you got to complain about? Seriously, your life is pretty good you know, yeah. compared to what some of these other people are going through. 
Do you find most of the people that have that have seen those sort of places come out with a similar sort of? Life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you look at life completely differently. You know, you've got to be deaf and destruction manual all the time. You know, you think just sitting somewhere where it's nice and quiet, there's no deaf and destruction manual. Is actually, you know, okay, this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah okay. you know, you don't you don't take as many things for granted anymore. Put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it's just a wonderful thing, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you have a lot of you know the people that you served with and stuff? Did you find that 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 adversity really pulled you in close up? Did, did you find that safety in a tribe? Oh, you do, but I'm, I guess in my situation, it's a bit different because I served with the Americans. So there was only a handful of us that went with that American headquarters. We were like embedded, so we didn't have that a good Australian connection there, a good Australian network. Yeah, okay. So that wasn't there. So we pretty much once again had to go in on your, your own, work with the Americans, and then. When you tour, different up, uniform. You kind of were yeah, one of them, but you weren't yeah, really exactly. And then when you went home, and, you know, twelve months later, well, we went one way, they went the other way. Yeah. So sort of, you know. But the, the fact you've been there, you went with a bunch of other guys. Yes, there was that common identity. It was a common, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you mentioned things people know exactly what you're talking about, and you know, you know, stayed at Camp Baker. Everyone knows what Camp Baker is, you know, and all the rest of it. So yeah. It's, um, there is still that common thread. And do you feel that with, you know, coming up to Anzac Day, we're, we're recording this the week before Anzac Day, do you feel like coming into Anzac Day that this is, you know, a time to really remember some of the people? Oh, so, ab- absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the course of 35 years, you know, obviously not just Afghanistan, a bunch of other times, you know, which yeah. is reasonably hard and, and difficult and, you know, and people gone through some tough times, sometimes not in, you know, on operations, but just in normal peacetime, you know, just mm-hmm. normal training and that, you know, people die still, you know, yeah. and... Um, so you reflect on that and you reflect on your career and, and your friendships. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going to give any advice to someone who's, say, thinking about a career in the armed forces, what what sort of person do you think it would suit and what advice would you give them um, it, as to whether to do it or not? It, it would certainly suit someone who's reasonably agile, who's, you know, get, he's, he's got a bit of resilience about him. Someone, you know, when they get knocked down, they can get themselves back up, dust themselves off and yeah. keep going. Nice way to put that, that that's agile. I, it's... Yeah, I, I kind of think of Agile as pivoting and turning and stuff, but it's being able to put up with adversity as well, yeah, isn't it? it's yeah, that agility. Uh, someone, that likes that, someone that likes a bit of structure in their life, uh, you know. Someone who enjoys being part of a team, uh, likes working as part of a team. And someone who's, uh, if you're selfless, uh, that, that's a really good thing as well, to be very selfless. To put other people first. To put other people first. Yeah, especially if you're going to be like in a leadership position, uh, you've got to put others first. You, you, you know, that's the only way you, you get by the one thing, the good thing about Australian soldiers compared to, say, other countries, Australian soldiers will give someone a chance first up. Let's say you come in as a leadership position. Yep. They'll give you a chance, but they'll look straight through you like you're an X-ray plate. And so if you've got, they're going to find whatever they'll, faults you've They'll got find you out straight away. Yeah, they will. Yeah, that's what I've found is that they will find your faults within a nanosecond. That's a nice way to have a bit of accountability to be able oh, to sort of say. Absolutely, yeah. the ABCs of me and yep. you I mean, need some help with this and... You're, you're completely exposed, yeah. And you know, yeah. you know, um, and, and which is good because if you do have any failings or any negative points, straight away you know it because they'll, they'll let you know and you, you think you can work on them, you can improve them. Yeah. yeah. I have a, a friend of mine who's a business coach and he, he, had a, he has a saying that um, giving feedback builds high-performance teams. That, so that you know, having a difficult conversation is a way to actually build unity in the team, and I guess oh, that's yeah. a very big thing in the army, isn't it? It is, especially in leadership positions. You're not there to deliver good news, you know. You, yeah, you're, okay. you're you're the guy that's giving has to give the bad news, you know. And and you know that you understand that, you, you know. You're that's why you're there. Sometimes yeah. you're going to deliver the bad news. I guess where they're where they're building you up and they're putting you through all of these things to create that agility and that resilience, you then have to be able to be comfortable to be able to give people bad news. 
Yeah, I think it's it's probably a really good point. I think the whole thing is that you've got to be comfortable comfortable outside your comfort zone. Yeah, and that's the kind of people that do well in that environment. Yeah. People who are comfortable outside their comfort zones. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, not a people. Not a lot of people are these days. No, they're not. Yeah. No, we're not. My, I'm out of my comfort zone. I want back in. Yeah, I'm exactly. Beating on the door yeah, to get right. back into yeah. my comfort zone. And uh, yeah, it's a really tough thing. So that's a comfort zone in itself, having those people around you and having that structure. Tell me about leaving because that, that would be like chopping. We interrupt this podcast just for a quick message from our sponsors, Body Science. Calm Stress Support is a product on a mission to help you find your calm and live life better. Six powerful herbs combine in effective therapeutic dosages designed to reduce the symptoms of stress and mild anxiety, soothe the nerves, calm the mind and support general mental well-being. This revolutionary formula is all about assisting you in finding balance again. With the revolutionary Blue Ness and Recover Bin in the blend, this functional supplement will support your physical and mental energy, recovery and cognitive function, while increasing your ability to cope with daily stress. Calm Stress Support is the new lifestyle supplement by Body Science, formulated to be the new daily staple in your health and wellness routine that you just can't go without. Off an arm, I would have thought. Oh, to, it's, it's, to come it's, out of that. It how, how did you handle that transition? Yeah, it's it's not easy. What's what's interesting is that the, the first thing you do is you go look at other people who've recently left. I guess I, I take one step back from that. So when I left, I was a colonel. Yeah. And and just to put that in perspective, what sort of what sort of percentage of people who go into the army would get to the rank of colonel? Uh, less than one. Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah less probably, than 1%. Yeah, less than 1%. Yeah, yeah, probably less than 1%. So it's a, it's a pretty steep period by the time you get yeah. there. It's but a pointy end. It's a pointy end, yeah. And when you get to that level, you don't really have a peer group anymore. So you, you go from having, like, when you first join up, a whole bunch of guys, you know, it's a company of 100 people, and then as you go on, as you go further up, more and more people fall off the, off the tree because they all leave or they go yeah. do different things. So by the time you get that point, you're actually reasonably lonely. You know, there's, right. because the lonely is a command, they call them, because you don't have a peer group. Yeah. Um, so when I left, I was at that point where I didn't have a great deal of guys around me that would go into the same sort of things and, you know, a huge peer group. Do you have other colonels or other... I guess you served a lot with the people in the States. You yeah. You don't have those, and, and when I was, those my, relationships as much. That's right. And when my job, I left was in Darwin, you know, I was the only colonel up there. Right. So, yeah, there was, a, there was one star and there was me and that was about it. You yeah, know, okay. so so there wasn't like a huge peer group that I could sort of bounce things off. And know? it would be also be hard to, I don't know, kind of just be mates with guys where you're oh, the boss. Yeah, you actually like, can't. That, that's hard in a business situation. It'd be really hard, I would imagine, in a military situation. Yeah, for me, every brings content. There's no doubt about that. So you actually yeah. can't do that. So so that that was the situation before I left, and I knew I was leaving. So I knew this is. Was, was that one of the catalysts? Was that what what was your spark to say? Okay, I was it. I can either go and try, try my best to get. No, the so the army's uh, the army's got a upwards or outwards policy. Yep. So basically, when you get promoted to colonel, the first thing they say, yeah, congratulations, get promoted to colonel. Army's full of problems. Go solve some for us. The second thing they say, you probably got about six years left in army. So make the most of it. Right. So I was lucky. I got eight years out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it got to that point. They said they pretty much offered me you know, a, a job, which is a, a sideways gap filler for a couple of years. Just you know, thanks for the coming and yep. here's your job. You know, a, an overseas gig at an embassy somewhere. Or, you know, the option was it's, it's time to go. So Army had this upwards or outwards policy where if you don't make the next level once you become a senior officer, it, yeah. it's, it's time to go. Okay. So I knew that was, was coming up. 
So mentally I was prepared for that, so it yeah. wasn't a great shock to me. And I went, yeah, well, if I stayed in, I was only going to kick the can down the road for another couple of years, so mm-hmm. probably trying to leave. I was still young to try something different, you know, it was in, you know, family situation was pretty good. So that was the catalyst. It was that decision that, yeah, it's now coming in the road. Two years ago now? Three years. Three years ago. Yeah, just over three years. So, but, and I look back and I thought, you know, there's nothing more in my career I want to achieve. I've probably achieved everything plus more. You really want to do. I've done everything now. I've mm-hmm. walked out of here, happy man. So, Zero regrets. Zero regrets. Absolutely no regrets. So I left and the first thing you do is look at other people. Okay. Who just got out? Now, what are they going through? But the very first thing that hits you is the fact that everyone's different. That, that guy over there, you know, he's still got a young family. Well, I didn't. That guy over there, he's into his second marriage. Well, I'm not. So everyone's just different. They're in completely different places. Yeah. That guy over there, he wants to live in Canberra. Well, I don't. You know, so at that point, you suddenly realize, I've got to do this on my own. I've got to, you know, chart my own, own way forward. You know, mm-hmm. I've got to map it out. So I decided I knew I wanted to live, which is here on the coast, yep. you know, beautiful Gold Coast. That's what I want to do. So you put those markers saying, what do you really want to do? Okay, Brian to- and I pretty much see the sun come up over the surf every <laughs> single morning as we both go and check the surf as the sun comes up. It's not a bad way to be. It's yeah. not a bad way to be at all, is it? So that was the first thing. Where I live, okay, what do you want to do? Okay, well, the sort of, uh, fortunately, the military look after you in terms of uh, uh, pension. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, the, the financial pressure wasn't there. So I didn't need to go and chase the big bucks like some people need to do. So I can step back a little bit, which is good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, obviously... So I started looking around for jobs and the, and the military, like I had, I never had a CV because you don't need yeah. one in the military. So 35 years. I all know what you've done. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so I had to go and get a CV done, you know, and all these things and then actually look for a job like everyone else has to do. And then you have to teach yourself all these things. And then luckily I landed a job with the Commonwealth Games, which mm-hmm. is great. It was 12 months, which is good. But that gave me a good taste of what life was like outside the military. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you've told me a few stories about this along the way that... One of your biggest struggles, uh, you probably feel as if what was one of your biggest struggles? Well, one of the biggest struggles is coming out being a colonel and having some 18 year old sort of keyboard cut, hey, young Brian, you know, <laughs> first name basis, like, yeah, okay. That, it, it took a while just to, you know, uh, to understand, okay, this is what it's like, this is, this is the real world, you know. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the other one you told me was that it, it was strange that in, in a leadership position, in the, you know, out as a civilian, people don't necessarily do everything you tell them to do. Yeah, that's right. No, <laughs> that is a shock. Yeah, sorry, I missed that one. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you, you, exactly. Uh, yeah, you, you go from a situation where you just tell someone to do something, you know it's going to get done, probably get done reasonably well. Yep. Yeah, to a point where, how about we do this? And then it just doesn't get done. You know, yeah. you've got to follow it up. And you've got to go, why are you doing this? I told you not to do that. You know. Have you had to change your style a little bit? Have you had to change your way of getting yes. people to do things? Yeah, I, I think ways? so. Um, I, well, I think, well, first of all, you haven't got that rank behind you. So you've got to, you know, you just got to... Um, don't even think about doing that. I mean, pull a rank on anyone, regardless yeah. of who and what you are. But the other way is you've got to do things. You've got to convince people that's in their interest to do. Yeah, you should be doing it yeah. because it's good for you. You know. Yeah. And so that's how the change is basically now convincing people to do something because it's good for them to do it. That'd be a real thought habit to do, or a mindset change, wouldn't it? That oh, this absolutely. is what needs to be done. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. To okay, I've got to work out how to tell this person that. This is a, a viable thing that they should be doing. That's right. Yeah, it's in their interest to do this. Yeah. So you got to work out what's what's making them tick. What, what's their interest and what's what's you know, what's their perspective, and then superimpose what you need to do on that. Did you find that that having the skills that you learned through leadership in the armed forces, you know, gave you that agility to be able to think like that reasonably easily? Oh yeah, oh, I think absolutely. And especially because with the military, it's not just the one environment. I always said to work with the states, work with the Brits, work with the Kiwis. And all over the world, different jobs, different locations, different positions, different people. 
So you do get to experience a fairly wide cross-section of society, very wide cross-section of skill sets and different people. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you tend to have a reasonably good well-developed skills when you jump out the other end because you just dealt with so many different actors out there. Yeah. You know? Well, that's good. Well, I guess one of the things... Um, in stress Teflon, I had three things that were the, the keys to stress Teflon. There was the safety of the tribe, which the armed forces certainly... Yeah. I, Guess they do and they don't. They give you the safety of the tribe, but they send you into places that are really dangerous. Yeah. Um, pride from contributing, which you'd certainly get, and honest self-awareness. And it seems like the military's kind of got those three pretty much sewn up, hasn't it? Oh, it, it has. And it's not something I wish invented last week. Like, this is no, something that's been, been built up over centuries. Time. You know, it's, it works because, you know, thousands, millions of people died you know, yeah. proving these certain principles, you know. So, you know, when you get in the military, that's the thing. That's just why you're part of something bigger than you. There's something's been, this is something's been going on for a lot longer than you ever, you know, grace yeah. this earth, you know, so. Yeah. That, that, that sentence you said that this is something bigger than you, you've said it a couple of times in this, and it just sounds like that's something that's just ingrained in your personality. Oh. And knowing you fairly well, I know that that's pretty true. You do look after people and you're, you know, if you, if you had a problem, we had, um, my next door neighbor drowned out in the surf. Uh, he had a heart attack and, and fortunately, he had Brian and another friend of mine who is pretty cool under pressure sort of person pull him in and, and they saved him, which was amazing. But to have that sort of back catalogue of, of things that you've done to keep you calm in a situation like that, which is really tough, must be just, you know, it must make you almost stand taller that you, you've got that pride from knowing that you can do stuff. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things where, you know, one of the many sayings you get picked up in the military is, you know, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. Um, and you do, you can totally get put in adverse situations because we used to, um, one of the many sayings was, you know, train hard, fight easy. Yeah, okay. Well, fighting's never easy, but, you know, but yeah. the, you used to make sure your training was as hard and as realistic as possible and as, as adverse as possible. Uh, another saying, uh, if, if it ain't raining, you don't training. You're not out there getting wet and miserable. <laughs> you know, you're not training, you know. Yeah, so, okay. um, yeah. So that's sort of wrestling with the struggles of life yeah, and getting you know, through them. Sitting in the middle of the night, lying there, getting rained on, nothing you can do about it, just wet to the bone, you know. But it's a, that's sort of when you, you know, makes you appreciate being dry. Uh, yeah. But when you're out there cold, you think, I've been here before, I've been wet before, I survived, yeah. you know. So every time you get put in adverse situations and stressful situations, when you get through them, when you face them again, you think, well, I've, I've done that, I've been there, I've, I've gotten through that. Do they teach you how to sort of almost acknowledge that, that you've gone through, or is that just something you learn yourself? Um, it's a little bit of both, I think, um, because when you get when you first join, like you're originally young, fit, you know, you're 18, and then you're at the point where your 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 mind is here, but your body's well in excess of it. You can actually push yourself a lot harder, mm. and they teach you how to push yourself. So the, the mental limits a lot closer than the physical limit. Exactly, and they push you. They put you to the point where you can keep pushing yourself, and suddenly realize, well, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, mm. and that's something that they teach you. Getting then, comfortable outside your comfort zone. Comfortable outside your comfort zone, and then but then that stays with you. Yeah. And then you then use that uh, to your own, you know, your own situations. Okay. It actually, it does become a bit dangerous when you get the wrong side of 40 because suddenly your mind's up here, but your body's down here. You know? Yeah, okay. That you makes sense. Push yourself well and truly too hard. You want to hope your, your rank's high enough that you don't have to do you some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could push yourself too hard. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things we ask everyone on the, on the Reset podcast is um, we do a thing called Finding Carlos. And Finding Carlos is finding what are the characteristics of the better version of you. So if I had to ask, had to ask, you know, Brian at his best, what are a couple of characteristics of the better version of Brian? Um, I think well, one of them is I think under pressure. And the only reason I say is because when I'm under pressure, I just life becomes very like it becomes very clear. It becomes very here's three or four things I've got to do, and everything else just gets out of the way. 
So I'm under a bit of pressure. I think, okay, what needs to happen? One, two, three, that's it. And that's all that's in that in the space. It's all that's inside that in the box. Right. Those three things under pressure. Everything else is just, it's gone. I just noise. Noise is gone. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. get rid of it. So that's, I like being in that, that situation. You know, mm-hmm. I like being pushed in that pressure because life becomes very crystal clear, you know. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is I, I, I think I'm at my best when uh, I'm around other people and I'm giving. I like yeah. to give whatever's time, listen, listening to people are just giving something back. I like giving things. I like giving time to people, giving, you know, like if I don't like taking, I like giving more than taking. Well, that's a lesson almost every leader can learn from, isn't it? That, you know, as a leader, your job isn't to be there to tell people what to do and all no. that sort of stuff. Your, your job is to be there to support them to be the best they yeah. can be. Absolutely. We're just giving you your time, your experience, something, you know, like, like yeah, if I was you, I'd do it this way. Why is that? Because last time I tried it, it didn't work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the third thing is, I'm at my best, I love learning. Yeah. I never want to be an old dog you can't teach new tricks to. Nice. You know, I, I like, love learning. And when I left Defence at my sort of, you know, farewell speech, I said, you know, once again, I like to thank those people that have inspired me throughout the years, things I've learned a lot of people, a lot of things off. But the one group of people I've learned almost more stuff off are the idiots out there. <laughs> you can do. Idiots uh, can the, teach you heaps. The people who have done incredibly stupid things because when they do it, you think, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, all those people out there have done stupid things, you know, because every now and then in your mind, you might think, I might try that, but think, no, no, it didn't work out too well for that guy, did it, you know? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so I like learning. So, they're the three characteristics, I think. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Three very good characteristics. And if I'd probably throw another one in there knowing you fairly well. You're one authentic human being. <laughs> Brian, it's been great having you on Reset. Cheers. Thank you, sir. That was. Awesome.